The Exodus passage that we heard this morning is often called the golden calf. And uh, often if you look at a Bible that will have uh, titles for sections of the Bible, by the way, the original doesn't have that, but it can be helpful for looking through the Bible, you'll often see this section of Exodus titled the golden calf. And in this passage, we tend to focus on the issue of idolatry with the golden calf. And I do want to address that. But it's actually not the richest part of the passage. So first I want to say a word on idolatry in our current political climate and then turn to the true heart of the reading. Well, reading commentaries on the Exodus passage this week, I came across this quote that was written in 2018. Quote, Americans are increasingly defining themselves by their partisan identity and doing so in an idolatrous manner. People on the left and the right are turning to politics as their deepest source of moral meaning, holding sharply different views and values. Different camps ascribe an almost sacred purpose to their party or tribe. Most of us think of ourselves as wise, logical, smart, and discerning. So when the other side is for something, our superior perspective must necessarily be against it. We decide we must devalue, dismiss, or demonize the other's idea. And our preferred news networks and social media loyalties demand that we stand our ground and fire back. It's time we name and unmask this idol. Our daily default to partisan identity does us no favor. Like all other idols, it offers promises it can't fulfill assumes powers it was never meant to have and leaves us empty in the end. If the charm of partisan identity doesn't eat us alive, it's surely going to keep disappointing us, especially as we step back and look for, for what makes for lasting meaning and abundant life. End quote. We know that our partisanship has become an idol when we have different standards for people of the other party than we do for our own. Unfortunately, we see this in Congress all the time on both sides. And part of what it does is erode our trust and our respect. Whatever your party affiliation is, let us remember that we are citizens of the kingdom of God first. Our core identity is as followers of Jesus, not as Republicans or Democrats or independents. Our voter guide is the baptismal covenant which calls us to seek and serve Christ in all persons, 
and to strive for justice and peace among all people. We might have different opinions about which politicians and policies best accomplish this, but that must be our focus. Now I want to turn to what is the real heart of this passage. Because when we focus only on the golden calf, we miss one of the most revealing passages we have about the nature of God and our relationship with God. One commentator said this passage should not be called the golden calf, but rather God changes God's mind. Let's walk through the passage. It's so rich. So for context, the passage begins after Moses has been up on the mountain for 40 days, getting instructions from God. And the people have been waiting for Moses' return, and they're starting to get anxious that he isn't going to return, or perhaps that he is dead. They even identify Moses, not God, as the one who led them out of Egypt. So they turn to Aaron, who is one of the two people who has been put in charge, and ask him to make gods for them. Aaron um, is clearly a people pleaser, and maybe not the greatest leader in this moment, and so he sort of gives in and makes a golden calf. Now, the golden calf, he gets all their earrings and golden st- So all the gold is what was taken from the Roman soldiers after they were drowned in the Red Sea. They went around and collected all the gold. So he takes that gold and uses it to make a golden calf and says, here are your gods. He even builds an altar and proclaims a day of the Lord. God sees God, who is all-seeing, of course, sees what is happening and commands Moses to go down the mountain, saying to Moses, your people whom you brought out of Egypt are doing this. And then God tells Moses that God is going to destroy the people. And God offers Moses a new deal Sort of like Moses, or sort of like God offered Noah. God says, I'm going to destroy the people, and of you I will make a great nation. It's quite an offer. So there is Moses. What does he do? Does he accept this new offer from God, which will mean the destruction of the people? Or does Moses stand with the people? Moses, who has been through so much, stays loyal to the people he has been leading. Moses does an amazing thing. He reminds God that these are your people and you're the one that led them out of Egypt. Moses is basically saying to God, like, don't put this on me. Like, you started this. You're the one that led them out and they're your people. Then, Moses appeals to God's international reputation. If you do this, the Egyptians will say, was it just for evil intent 
that God led the people out of bondage? Did God free these people only for the purpose of killing them? And then we get this extraordinary line from Moses saying to God, turn from your anger, change your mind. Now this is interesting because change your mind means to repent. Repent is a turning of the heart or a turning of the mind. So what's actually happening is Moses is asking God to repent. Moses implores God, do not bring disaster to your people, but rather remember your oath. Remember your promise to the people. And as a result of this, God changes God's mind. It is an extraordinary passage. Moses gives God and all of us a lesson in conflict resolution. Turn from your anger. Repent. Remember. We can use these steps in lots of conflicted relationships. Moses calls on God to do that which God has called us to do. In this passage, we see Moses exemplifying God, exemplifying being created in the image of God, and exemplifying faithfulness. This passage reminds me of that great hymn, Simple Gifts, with the line, till by turning, turning, we come round right. It also is a model, an image of our baptism, turning from self to God, repenting of sin and evil, making a promise to God by accepting God's promise to us. This passage teaches us something vitally important about the nature of the God we worship. God is dynamic. God is relational. God is not the unmoved mover that has been so often presented to us. In changing God's mind, God shows an openness to the future. Even when things are not going as God plans, God becomes open to a new future, to continuing this journey in the covenant that God has made. And we learn something vitally important about our relationship with God. It is interactive. It has some mutuality to it. St. Augustine said, Without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. Let me say that again. Without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. That quote is essentially a distillation of what we learn in this Exodus reading. So it's become my habit during uh, this pandemic uh, in my sermons to try and give you some homework or things to ponder throughout uh, the week. So I want to close with some questions for you to ponder today and throughout the week. 
Of course, we are not Moses. God does not speak to us as directly as God speaks to Moses. God's word to us is Jesus. But I wonder, what can you learn about prayer and your prayer life from this passage? Are there ways your prayer life can reflect that interaction between God and Moses? How are you a partner with God? How are you a co-creator of the future in partnership with the living God? And finally, in this passage we see that God can change God's mind. Are you free enough from idolatry to change yours?